0: This morning we continue our sermon series Mission of the Kingdom by looking at Acts chapter 5. We have a lot of ground to cover. Verses 17 through 42. This message is entitled The Christian Life. The apostles have been preaching and teaching. They've been warned not to, but they persist because they say that we are here not to obey man, but rather we obey God. Miracles are taking place. And this is the response. This is the response to the calling of the Christian life and the people of God as they persist to advance the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Acts chapter five, verses 17 through 42, the marks of the Christian life. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, put them in public prison, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those that were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel sent to the prison to have them brought But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And some came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand of, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus and the grass withers, the flower continues to fade, but no, not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had trouble naming something? Trouble naming a child? Trouble naming a business? We have some authors in the crowd, maybe trouble naming a book. Christianity at first kind of struggled with, what do we call this new movement? Christianity didn't come to the scene until later. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, this new movement of following Christ is called the way. Here, the angel says, go tell people about this life. And for 2,000 years, the people of God have been called to tell the world about this life, the Christian life this extraordinary life of following after Jesus Christ. So it's my privilege this morning, before we take communion, for me to take us through God's word here in Acts chapter five to discover the marks of this life, the marks of the Christian life. We're gonna first see in Acts chapter five that this Christian life is marked by opposition. Secondly, it's a life marked by submission, And thirdly, a life marked by utter certainty and assurance. Let's study Acts chapter 5 together, this Christian life. First, a life of opposition. Right off the bat, you see what happens when you teach and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 17 and 18, out of jealousy and envy, the religious authorities will have none of it. They will not tolerate the teaching of Jesus Christ. And out of jealousy and envy, they arrest the apostles. At the end of the passage that we read, they're beaten and they're flogged. It's a reminder to us that the Christian life always has been, and the Christian life always will be, a life marked by opposition Never be fooled if you are new to the Christian faith that this life is absent of suffering, that this life is absent of trouble. The men, the very men who put their necks on the line for Jesus Christ, the very men who were witnesses of Jesus Christ, even they faced immense opposition, even losing their very lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. They are arrested, they are beaten, and the question is why? What was the message of Christianity? Well, first, I'd like to propose that they were, that they were opposed because they were teaching a message that was contrary to the religious authorities. The religious authorities of Jesus' day were teaching a message of works righteousness. They were teaching that you could have favor with God through your own self-righteousness. And they hated the message then. And the world hates the message today. Nobody wants to hear that they're a sinner in need of grace. Nobody wants to hear the message that you can't gain favor with God according to your own righteousness. And so the message of Christianity 2,000 years ago is the same message that we proclaim today, that you are justified alone according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And because the religious authorities hated that message, that they had to renounce their self-righteousness. It caused them to oppose the message of Christianity and to oppose the men and women that were proclaiming that message. But not only were they preaching a message contrary to a message of self-righteousness, the apostles were going around claiming and declaring that Jesus Christ alone was Lord. Jesus Christ alone was Lord. In the first century, there was only one Lord and his name was Caesar. You see, the Romans didn't care what you worshiped. The Romans didn't care what you believed as long as you declared Caesar as Lord. And because Christianity has always been a message marked by the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone and marked that Jesus Christ alone is Lord alone, they hated it then and they hate it today. And we need to be reminded that if we stand true and stand firm according to God's word and preach the same message that the apostles preached, we will be opposed as well. And one of the great problems of the North American church is that the Christians inside that church would rather pursue peace and affluence and comfort instead of standing firm on the gospel truth. And we live in a day and age where we coddle the next generation with participant, participation trophies. We coddle them to remove them from any suffering or any trouble or any danger. And we are doing our children and our grandchildren a great disservice by showing them that the Christian life is one of peace and affluence and comfort. It always has been and it always will be a mark, a life marked by opposition and suffering. Trouble faced the early church then, and it faces the early church today. And the North American church is dangerously soft when it comes to being bold about the gospel and courageous about biblical truth. A life of opposition that is the Christian life, always has been, always will be. Secondly, not only is the Christian life marked by opposition, but it's a life marked by submission. In verses 29 through 33, The apostles are brought in to stand before the chief priest. And Peter, of all people, Peter who was weeks ago denying that he even knew Jesus Christ, speaks up boldly. And what does he say? I obey God rather than men. The Christian life has always been about full surrender and full submission to Jesus Christ And the way that we demonstrate our allegiance and our surrender to Jesus Christ alone is the obedience to God's word, rather obedience to the words of men. And just as the apostles had a choice to obey God rather than men in the first century, we are faced with that choice of full submission to Jesus Christ today. If you're a student in school, You are faced with a choice every day. Do I obey God or do I obey men? It will cost you. It will cost you friends. It will cost you your influence. It will cost you your popularity. But the calling is to obey God rather than men. Business leaders and business owners, executives in our congregation, every day you are faced with the decision, will I obey God or will I obey men? Moms and dads, faced every day, every week with the decision how we raise our family and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you are making a conscious decision every day will I obey God or obey man in the way that our home functions? Maybe it means saying no to sending my child to that party this weekend because I obey man, I obey God rather than obeying man full surrender, full submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's a well-known evangelical pastor in Atlanta who's hosting a conference affirming same-sex attraction. And the reason he said that he's holding this conference is he says it's far too long that the Christian faith has been deemed irrelevant. And it's my job as a pastor to make Christianity relevant again. Listen to me. It's not our job to make Christianity relevant. It's not our job to make it more acceptable for our culture. It is our job to proclaim the truth and obey God rather than man. And we have historical precedent on our side. When Moses was in the great empire of Egypt, he had the choice. Do I obey God or do I obey man? When Daniel was in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, in the great empire of Babylon. Do I obey God or do I obey man? Elijah, when he was forced into a culture and a society to worship the gods of Baal, do I worship God and obey God or do I obey man? Martin Luther, called to recant in the midst of a corrupt church, was faced with the choice, do I obey God or do I obey man? And we live in a day and age with a relentless attack from media and government to silence and muzzle the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand for 2,000 years, we fall in line with a great company of men and women that have taken a stand and said no, we will not be silenced, we will not be canceled, we will stand firm and boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ because we as a church in the 21st century obey God rather than obeying man. What this nation needs more than ever is men and women who say, I live my life under the authority of Jesus Christ alone. Thus saith the Lord, period. A life of full submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Third and lastly, a life marked by opposition a life marked by full submission, and a life marked by utter assurance. In verses 34 through 39, we finally are introduced to a rather rational person in the story. His name's Gamaliel. Seems like the only one operating with common sense. Gamaliel was one of the chief teachers of the Pharisees. In fact, he was a mentor and teacher of the Apostle Paul. And in verses 34 through 39, he says, men, stop. We've seen this before. We've seen men like Thudius that had a following and he was killed and nothing happened to the movement. We've seen Judas the Galilean. He had a big following and he was done away with and nothing happened with his movement. So just let's follow history. If this is of man, it'll fall apart. But listen to me, if this is of God, it is unstoppable. And he goes as far as saying, you might even be fighting and opposing God. Listen to me, in a life that is hard and full of opposition and persecution, In a life where we have been called to fully submit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can wake up in the morning with an utter assurance and certainty because we know that the plans of God and his church are unstoppable, that nothing can thwart the purposes of almighty God. I mean, even in this story... They have the keys, they have the power, and they go to the prison, and they're in the temple doing the very thing they were told not to do. You cannot stop the purposes of God, and no matter how much and how hard the world tries to stop the church, it is an unstoppable movement, because the plans and purposes of God cannot be stopped. And this is what gives us motivation as the church of Jesus Christ. No matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how high the heat rises out there, we know that we are part of a movement that has been unstoppable and will be unstoppable. We know how the story ends. And so we can take heart because we know who wins in the end. But the only reason that we can live with utter assurance and certainty, knowing that the purposes of God cannot be stopped, is because we know from this scripture that the Son of God can't be stopped. You see, in verse 31, Peter says something profound about this Jesus. In your versions, it might say, leader. Jesus Christ, our leader. In some versions, it might say our prince. The Greek word is translated our hero. That word hero in the Greek was attributed to the Greek god Hercules. What Peter is trying to remind us is that you're not the hero of your story and that the reason we can live with rock solid assurance and certainty is that we have a family champion a leader, a prince, a hero, and his name is Jesus Christ. And from the beginning of redemptive history to the end of redemptive history, we read of one redemptive hero, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the good news this morning is this, that you don't have to be the hero of your story, that Jesus has already taken care of that for you. And if you hitch your wagon to Jesus Christ, We live with the confidence and the assurance that he wins, and because he wins in the end, you win in the end, on the basis of his righteousness and not on the basis of anything you could have done. But I'm also here to tell you that if you are the hero of your story, that is a life of utter foolishness and utter hopelessness, absent of joy, absent of purpose, with no certainty in anything in the future, only those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that are able to stand before God one day and say, not on the basis of my righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, my hero for all of eternity, can we have any assurance in the harsh realities of life that we can have rock-solid certainty and rock-solid assurance forever and ever. It's interesting what this type of assurance and this type of certainty did for the apostles. At the very end it says before they were released, they were beaten one more time. But did you notice the response? Utter joy, why? Because they found themselves worthy to suffer in the same way and manner that their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered. And it says that they went out and shared this life, this remarkable life of following Jesus Christ with a world that was desperate for the good news of the hero of heroes, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The only thing that will motivate you and I To go out there into a world that opposes the gospel is to know that once we were opposed to the gospel, once we were enemies of God and Christ loved us and died for us, therefore we can go into enemy territory and preach the good news of Jesus Christ with confidence and boldness for a lost and hopeless world. Richard Warmbrand was a Romanian pastor during the communist era. Richard was captured as a political prisoner. Asked why he was imprisoned, he said, because I declared under the communist regime that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. 14 years lived in solitary confinement, 14 years flogged and beaten so bad that to the point That he almost died and even at the point of his death still had chunks of flesh missing from his back but he said the one thing that sustained me was the reminder of how the story ends the one thing that sustained me was the rock solid assurance of Jesus Christ and so I would find myself after being beaten dancing around by myself and myself for joy They thought I was nuts. Upon his release, he was offered a meal. And he said, no ma'am, I'm going to my home to fast and to pray because I want to pray that I experience the same joy out here that I experienced in there. Who says such a thing? Only a person has been captured by the beauty and the glory and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, a life that is full of hardship and trouble. Yes, a life that calls us to sacrifice our wants and our desires and fully surrender to Jesus Christ, but a life of relentless joy and utter assurance and certainty. Why would you not want this life? May we be a people that go out from this place today motivated by the gospel alone to go and declare this life to a world that is hurting and broken and dying and say this life with all of its troubles and all of its hardships that you can have rock solid assurance both today and tomorrow and forevermore by surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. This Christian life, it's a wild one but any other life is absolutely absurd. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, this life, this life that the apostles were called to preach, this life that the church has championed for 2,000 years, this life is the life that we are called to present to a world that is divided a world that is broken, a world that is in need of hope. May we be the men and women of God that have experienced the good news of Jesus Christ. May me be the ones that are empowered by that gospel, motivated and fueled by your Holy Spirit to go and proclaim the good news. That through the hardships and sufferings and troubles and trials of life, we can have assurance both now and forevermore, not in our righteousness or our goodness, not by placing us as the hero of our story, but surrendering our lives at the foot of the cross and placing Jesus Christ alone as the hero of our story, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our message that we proclaim. And Lord Jesus Christ, if there is anyone here or anyone watching at home that does not have this hope, may they have this hope this morning simply by confessing that they are a sinner in need of grace and looking to Jesus Christ alone and his righteousness for their salvation and for the fullness of life both now and forever, so that one day when they stand before God and he says, what right do you have to come into heaven? They are able to point to the righteousness of Christ alone. In my sin, I stand condemned, but in the righteousness of Christ, I stand as a very child of the Most High God. May the story of this day be a story of men and women surrendering their lives to Jesus the Christ and Jesus the Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.